You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Tuesday, May 2nd. This is The Christian Commute. I'm your host, Seth Dunn, and you're riding home with me. But not, I'm not going to be home long because I got soccer practice. Got a very busy day at the Dunn household today. We have two baseball games, one t-ball, one kid pitch baseball, and soccer practice and play practice. Which, hey, if that reminds me, I think I'm going to lose my do- crap. Uh, my daughter Alexandria is the one in this play, so she's going to miss practice. I got a whole motivational speech planned we're on the we're right on the cusp of a championship we just got to keep playing anyway you guys don't want to hear my speech but they're gonna tonight you know the the league director says don't do lectures and lines in your practices that's exactly what i do my practices are fun but before i get to that fun practice we're going to do the christian commute a sad occurrence on the Christian commute because this feels like, what is it, three days, three shows in a row without a question in the inbox? Nobody, if anybody still listens, has a question about Christian theology and apologetics to write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Nobody has a question to, to call into 470-314-0875. Nobody. So we just don't have that segment on the show anymore. Hopefully someone will ride in soon. Because it's a long way from here to Dalton. And guys, I got one, one Bible verse today. Because it's sort of a transition verse, and I couldn't fit it on the sticky note last week. So I have one verse. And I guess I could talk about my class for a really long time. We continue in the Through Seminary series. Christian Missions is the course we're covering this time. 2015 Summer Internet. Christian Missions. And the Bible chapter review comes from Matthew chapter 21, verse 10. So you will recall last time we covered the triumphal entry. Where Jesus is riding in on the donkey and the people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're putting their coats and palm branches on the road for him to enter Jerusalem. So when he gets there, the city is all a Twitter. Could you imagine if they had Twitter back then in Jerusalem and Jesus is riding up? I bet they'd be blowing up. Hashtag Hosanna. Matthew chapter 21, verse 10. When he had entered Jerusalem... All the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So all throughout the book of Matthew, you've had Jesus out doing miracles outside of Jerusalem. Wherever he's going, and people are following him all around. And we know that the scribes and Pharisees sent people to John the Baptist to say, hey, what's going on out here? And he's, he's saying, listen, the Jesus is the real deal, though. Don't worry about me. I'm, again, paraphrasing. Hey, look at this. They, 
they painted the the uh, what I think is a happy ending spall. It is now like a light green sort of a teal, the Royal Spa over here on South Dixie Highway where all the trucks go by. And paint job doesn't fool me. It doesn't look as run down anymore, but... It, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just so funny to see what is obviously a house of ill repute with a concrete block with one dark window on a road that I drive down every, every day. Like, I'm not in Amsterdam. I'm in Dalton. What was I talking about? Oh, Jesus in Jerusalem. I was distracted by the happy ending spa on the side of the road. Let me focus on Jesus in Jerusalem. Jesus had been out in what you might call the countryside or other cities out by the Sea of Galilee. People were following him around, but there are apparently still people in Jerusalem who don't know what all the fuss is about because the crowds are with him. But other people are saying, what's going on? Who is this guy? Because it's going to cause a scene when he rides in to these cheers and these screams. Like, Who is this? And people are saying, it's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And it's a big deal for a prophet to ride into town. This doesn't happen every day. But we know Jesus is not just a prophet. Here comes the horsepower so I don't get stuck behind this 18-wheeler on the on-ramp. Sorry. I went a lot, a lot faster than Jesus' donkey did, I guarantee you. Uh, so there's a stir. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's a super public event, and everybody's talking about it, and now everybody's going to have an opinion on it. We're expecting some action to happen now. And remember, he's prophesied that he's going to be handed over by the chief priests and the Pharisees. The, the current religious authorities and the worldly authorities, that is Rome, Jesus is now going to run up against them in the city of Jerusalem. And remember, it's almost time for Passover. So a lot of people are coming to the city. This is a holiday week you might call it to use our modern parlance we don't have holiday weeks we have holiday weekends so Passover is going to be the next the next week or this is the week of Passover so it's going to be a busy time in the city anyway and unlike the year before and the year before and the year before somebody has ridden in and people are shouting Hosanna people are calling him the son of David People have ideas about messianic revolution. That's going to affect how the Romans feel about this. That's going to affect how the Jewish leaders feel about this. So you can imagine the, the air is tense or thick with expectation of something to happen. And we'll see what happens next time on the Christian commute. And I'm going to pass this utility truck. Oh, man. I, I'm not looking the out, liking the outlook of traffic here. And I'm trying to take it easy on my car. The check, my, my van has been shifting hard lately. It's got 89,000 miles on it. It may be due for some 100,000 mile transition, transmission service. 
and uh, the check engine light is on and you never know about that thing the check engine light was on in my CRV remember Studio A my 2003 CRV with 200 and something thousand miles on it the check engine light was on in, on that thing for 10 years and the problem was the O2 sensor so I, I mean I just never got it fixed because your car doesn't need the O2 sensor I'm, so I'm hoping this is something like that and not a serious problem because I'm not due for an oil change so I, need, I guess I need to take this thing in somewhere and get it analyzed. It's probably some scheme by the dealership to charge me a bunch of money. And I'm short one car right now because I, I took my Kia to get it fixed, my Kia Soul. If anybody wonders what it costs to get a Kia Soul window switch fixed, it's $330. And Kia has still not sent that window switch to the auto place I took it. I was going to take it to the dealer and it just... You know, I know the dealer's going to rip me off when I go to the dealer. I just know that. And I thought, it'll be quicker if I go to the dealer. They'll have the part. But, you know, they couldn't get me in. It was like pulling teeth to get into the dealer. So, you're like, you know what? I'm going to go to the mom and pop place. And they got me in pretty quick, but they still need the part. So, I still don't have my Kia Soul. So, here I am driving on in the Honda Odyssey with Studio C with the check engine light on. I don't know what would have happened to this thing. It sat for a long time. But hopefully it gets me it gets me home and doesn't explode on me like everything else in the world, like my refrigerator and uh, my car window and whatnot. My wife also wrecked the other minivan, sort of. She popped her tire on a curb and broke the mirror off. So all kinds of calamity in my fixed assets lately. But the one thing I wish would explode is the inbox, SethDunn88 at gmail.com. It would have been the part of the show, you know, for the past four years, five years, where I answer somebody's question about theology and apologetics, but it's not to be. So let me just move on to the course in seminary called Christian Missions. Christian Missions, which I took as an internet semester in 2015. So now that I have kids, I'm only taking one course at a time. I'm drowning in, in the responsibilities of life. Because I want you to think about it. When you're a father and you have a full-time job, any full-time job, forget if you're a CPA. Just, just you're, you got a full-time job and you're a dad. You don't have time to get a master's. Well, I was trying to do that. So I couldn't do two classes anymore. It just wasn't happening. So I'm trying to finish one course at a time, and by this time, I'm almost finished, which means we're almost done with the Through Seminary series. So here I am taking Christian missions. And let me just give you my opinion straight out. Christian missions is an infomercial for the Southern Baptist Cooperative Program and Southern Baptist Mission Programs more than it is a class about how to do missions. Okay. And fine, it's an SBC seminary, I get it. But it's more an infomercial than a survey of missions. But what did we talk about? Well, we talked about the history of missions. Any, uh, any Baptist who's been in enough sermons about missions has heard about the Haystack Prayer Meeting and the Triannual Convention in Adoniram Judson who was an early Baptist missionary. So we, we didn't really study missions like going all the way back to the early church and missions spreading throughout the world 
in our missions history, the focus, at least that I remember, was more on Baptist missionaries. Which is great, because we're Baptists. And we're the ones known for going all throughout the world to, to the heathen to send the missionaries. But other religions and other denominations have been doing that. I mean, the Roman Catholics have been sending out missionaries for years, but you know we're not going to study them because they have a false gospel. So there was a little bit of the study of missionaries, Baptist missionaries in the last 300 or 400 years going to far-flung places taking their coffins with them on the ships because they knew they weren't coming back from where they were going. Not like it is today where missionaries come home on furlough. These people took their coffins with them. They were gone. They were going. Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson and those famous missionaries. And we studied these people. They'd take their wives with them and their wives would die and they'd get another wife and she would die. I mean, it was... It was like the kind of you know death rate that they had on the Mayflower back in the day in 1400. Sorry, the Mayflower is not Columbus. That's the Pilgrims. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue on the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria. The Mayflower came later. Nevertheless, <coughs> the Plymouth Colony had a high death rate. And it was sort of like that. And, and mission, the missionaries were going out into these tropical regions where you'd get malaria or whatever the local dis- diseases were. Now... If you go on international travel, whether you're a missionary or not, they're like, here, take this malaria shot, take this other vaccine, because they know the tropical diseases that will kill you, and, you know, not to drink the Mexican water. But back then, you're just going to go, and you're going to get sick, and there's no hospital. You know, you're out in the middle of nowhere. So it's sort of inspiring, I guess I should say, what these early Baptist missionaries uh, were doing. And we learned about the earliest Baptist cooperative efforts because Baptists are an independent sort of people. But they got together in conventions before the split of North and South over uh, slavery, slave owners in the mission field. The Baptists had a convention that spanned the entire United States, but it split out. So we learned about that. We read a book on missions. I don't remember who wrote it. I thought it was really stupid. Hold on, I'm merging. Don't come over on... Ah! This guy's coming over in my lane. I'm in his blind spot. Don't do it. And everybody's going slow because there's a police car on the road. This guy has a window sticker who was coming over on me that says hashtag sober. That makes me feel really good, buddy. I guess he's a recovering alcoholic. He's letting everybody know. I'm driving sober. Hope you're not having a relapse on I-75 while I'm next to you. So we had this book about missions and the history of missions. And one of the interesting things that I learned in this class about missions to, say, Asia and the churches that developed in Asia and Africa that died out under, say, Muslim persecution or the persecution from Eastern religions... Uh, going back to the Catholics, if you've ever seen that movie, oh, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. It stars Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield as priests. And uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. Liam, Liam Neeson is the priest they're looking for. 
and I can't remember the name of the movie. I want to, it's something like Silence, isn't it? It's it's a really good movie about these young priests who go looking for a missionary who disappeared in Japan, and they come under super harsh persecution. And what I learned from the interesting part of this book about the history of missions is that the churches that formed in Asia that didn't really take in the early days of Christianity were monophysite churches. And I thought that was really interesting in that they died out because monophysite churches are in theological error. Because to be a monophysite is to believe that Christ only had one nature. When biblically we know that Christ had two natures. That he was truly human and truly God. Sometimes people say fully human, fully God. But God had two natures, a human nature, or Jesus, I should say. Jesus had two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And the Monophysite churches rejected this. And I find it so interesting that they died out. Why the Diophysite churches didn't. And they expanded and, you know, I mean, the Catholic church is a Diophysite church and it's wrong. But you see the break off from them and the Reformation and you have a proper Christology. So that was something interesting that I learned. But the, the modern day stuff, no joke. This is the kind of thing they do in book world and seminary world. And it might have been Ed Stetzer who wrote this chapter. And I really don't think a lot of that guy. Somebody wrote a chapter on Stephening. Stephening. <laughs> and they use Stephen in the book of Acts as their example to sort of, we're going to invent something called Stephening. We're going to make it biblical because we're going to say Stephen did it. Remember Stephen in Acts? What happens to Stephen? He preaches a sermon and he gets stoned. But their argument was that Stephen wasn't an apostle. He was somebody who supported the apostles. And what we can have today is modern day Stephens. And just because you're not a missionary out on the mission field doesn't mean you can't help. And it'd be give the example, like, think of somebody who works in the office at the IMB. So think of the International Mission Board. They've got missionaries all over the world, out on the ground, and these people need their paycheck every week to get by, and they need supplies. Well, there's a corporate office of the IMB. It's in Virginia, you know, full of logistics and accounting people who are doing the administrative work to support the missionaries. So the people at the corporate office are not getting, they're not out getting shot at by cannibals and you know, chased by the heathen and facing malaria. They're sitting at home in Virginia living a nice life. But their office work, their administrative work supports the missionaries. The missionaries need them. And the, the chapter of the book is like, you can be a Stephen and you can, you can do Stephening. Like, listen, I get it that we need administrative people at the mission board. But don't try to t turn it into the, a doctrine of Stephening. Just stop it. It's like the army, right? The army has a quartermaster. There are people out on, in the army fighting on the front lines. Shooting and, and getting bombed, right? But they, they need people to feed them. So there's a court and, and supply them with boots and machine guns and helmets. So there's a quartermaster in back of the line who nobody's shooting at him, but he's obtaining food and supplies and sending it to the soldiers 
So we recognize that that guy is important, just like we recognize the administrative people are important. But let's not come up with a, a, some, a so-called bi- biblical concept called Stevening. I get it. We need administrative people. It's common sense. So I remember that. And that part of it was, I guess, the, pra- the practical part of missions and the history of missions. Like, this is how you could do it. These are the different things that are involved. Because, I mean, there's, there's, you got to move supplies and people to do, to do missions. And you got to fund it. That's a, that's a big part of it. And there's language barriers. Okay, if you want to be a missionary, it's not like, I'm just going to walk into the heathen and start preaching. Like, well, there's more to it than that. Yes, that basically is what being a missionary is. But there's other things that you're going to get involved with. And there's categories of missions. Like there's medical missions and uh, feeding missions, etc., etc. But that was, that was about as far as the historical and practical part of the course went. They spent a lot of time infomercialing the Southern Baptist way of doing things. So they say, here is our glorious, wonderful, cooperative program. And it pays for the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. And here's, here's how they were formed, and here's who's in charge of them, and here's how they're split, and here's what you have to do to be an IMB missionary. So like, not anybody, not just like Joe Southern Baptist cannot walk up to the IMB and say, make me a missionary. I mean, there's, you have to have a certain level of theological education, because they don't want people out there preaching heresy. And you have to have your house in order. Like, if you have credit card debt, you can't be an IMB missionary. Do you know that? You've got to be debt-free. Because they don't want you worried about paying your debt. Because the, the borrower is slave to lender, right? They don't want you as, as a slave to Citibank. They want you as a slave to Christ. They don't want you worried about anything back home. So we learned about the requirements for them. And, of course, we lionized Lottie Moon. I've talked about her ad nauseum on this program. I won't talk about her further. And I'm not I'm not trying to be negative. Lottie Moon was good. We talk about the North American Mission Board and what they do. And what's interesting about the North American Mission Board is that it started as the Home Mission Board and the International Mission Board was called the Foreign Mission Board. But then you... Things got too PC. You weren't supposed to say foreign. And if you guys, uh, like me, watched WCW in the late 90s, you'll remember that if somebody got hit with a bat or a chair, they'd call it an international object because they weren't allowed to say foreign. So when foreign became a word you're not supposed to say, the foreign mission board became the international mission board. And the home mission board became the North American mission board. But the home mission board was really sort of a mission board that originally ministered or did missions to foreigners, domestic foreigners, that being Indian tribes who were considered their own nations, who didn't necessarily speak English, who didn't have a Western background. So it was more of a frontier missions organization to go evangelize the heathen who were the American Indians. Now the North American Mission Board is about sending people to send cities, send cities, which is, you know, Atlanta, San Francisco, New York, because uh, the, they have noticed that church, church is declining in urban areas, but there's a lot of money there. And you go live in a send, send city. 
doing missionary missionary work to people who are from your own culture and your own country. And they try to do a lot of college stuff. Nam has become a real social justice place, in my opinion. Uh, it's a huge waster of money. I didn't know all that at the time. I knew a little bit about it, but I, I was not a Nam fan then. I was okay with the International Mission Board. So there's a lot of the class about this is what we do in the SBC with the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board, and it's so important to fund it with your CP dollars. Because what they want to do is train preachers and get them to drink the Kool-Aid who think that the Southern Baptist way of missions is the best, greatest way of doing missions, and then go get a job at a church and then get that church's money into the mothership. That's why I viewed it as an infomercial and would have liked to learn more about the history and method of missions. Our big assignment in the class was to write a paper about missions. Now, you could either write a general paper about missions that the professor approved or you could write about an unreached people group. Because one of the things they taught us was about the unreached people group concept that came out of the Lassane movement in the early 80s. So in the early 80s, even though Christian missions had been going around for 1980 years, a group of Christians, missionary type people, the leaders in the industry, if you will, I don't want to call it an industry, uh, met at a place called Lassane. I think it was in Switzerland. Billy Graham was somehow involved in this, or the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And they developed the idea of the unreached people group. And an unreached people group is defined as a group of people who are a culture, so they might share a common language or cultural heritage. A group of people who are less than X percent evangelical Christian. And I think the number was something like six or two. I forget what it was, but it's a really low bar to say if, if you're less than 6% evangelical, evangelical Christian, you're unreached. And we're going to send missionaries to you. We're going to prioritize sending missionaries to you. So if you think of, say, I don't know, like Mexico. Mexico is right here on the border of Texas. There's a lot of Catholics in Mexico who aren't evangelical Christians. So Catholics are considered an un unreached people group. If you're, if you're in a Roman Catholic country, you could be an unreached country, even though you might have had Christianity there for a thousand years. Because Roman, Roman Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. But I'm, I'm going to sit here and guess that Mexico is 6% evangelical. I know, like, South Korea is, for example. I know they are. So the International Mission Board is not going to prioritize sending missionaries to, say, Mexico or South Korea. They would send them to, I don't know, Sudan, which is overrun by Muslims and, you know, doesn't have a lot of evangelical Christians. That's just the example. I don't know the numbers. I'm just making stuff up. Say I don't know if Mexico is 6%. I don't know if Sudan is 6%. I do know Korea has a high number of evangelicals. So, I mean, it seems like a smart strategy, right? We're not going to send missionaries where, they're already, where there's already a strong presence of evangelical churches because those churches should be, be doing the witnessing. I get it. I agree with that. Don't send missionaries to where there's already a bunch of Christians who should be doing it. But I, I, I know the Bible says we're going to send to every nation. 
go, go to every nation. That's the Great Commission. But this idea of unreached people groups I found contrived. And there was a lot out of the, the, the Lassane movement that I won't go into now because I don't remember it, uh, that I didn't agree with. And I, I remember there was this idea going around at the time, especially among the Southern Baptist president, Bryant Wright, who was like, the end will come. Go to every nation and then the end will come. And there was like some specific belief that if you made every people group a reached people group, then the end would come. So it's almost like a form of dominionism that I found personally weird. So I never really bought into the people group thing. And I didn't want to write a paper where I'm basically doing a ninth grade uh, culture studies paper. So in ninth grade, I had a class called World Cultures. That's what it was, World Cultures. And it was, it was considered an AP class, an advanced placement class. And it was a combination of English and social studies. So the English and social studies teachers did it together, and they called it world cultures because you're going to learn about their literature too. And we would do, we'd get into groups, and every two or three months or two or three weeks, we would present reports on a culture that we picked up. So we'd do, uh, we'd do Asia or, or we'd do South America, and we'd pick a culture. Uh, I, I remember doing, one of mine was Korea. One of mine was Italy. So we'd learn about the culture of those place, places and do a presentation. Usually we'd do a skit. I remember our skit about South Korea was that WCW was going to South Korea to do a wrestling show, and I was Dusty Rhodes. And I was like, did you know, baby, that men hold hands in South Korea as platonic friends and they're not homos? You know, because that's true. Korean, Korean men hold hands platonically. You know, you, but you'd mention stuff like that. Uh, I did not want to do a cultural study about the GDP and demographics of some random culture that I was almost likely never to come across. It seemed like tedious work that I didn't want to do, quite frankly. Plus, my passion was in exposing the inefficiency in the cooperative program. So by now in seminary, I'm no longer on the cooperative program Kool-Aid. I re- I'm rejecting a lot of Southern Baptist culture, especially having been through the pastoral ministry and worship, not worship leadership, church leadership classes and the CP class. And I'm starting to figure out like this is so bureaucratic and wasteful. And we got all these problems here at home. And everybody's giving money to the cooperative program. And it's funding these people like Ronnie Floyd. This is a joke. If people only knew how bad it was. But instead I'm getting infomercialed here with all these other guys. And we're supposed to go out and be pastors and get people to buy into the mothership. Where, you know, I went into seminary. And when, I, when, I, when I'm out, or I knew when I got out, I'd be less, I would be less likely to tell my church to participate more with the SBC. Like, I would go and say, let's give less, or let's give differently. Let's let's not involve ourselves with these people. Let's not try to be like them. Like, we can work with them, but a lot of ways we shouldn't. So I was working on the book 
that you can now buy on Amazon, the cooperative program on the road to serfdom. That was sort of my passion project. And I said, you know what? This fits right in with this class. I'm going to ask the professor if I can write a paper on Southern Baptist mission funding. And he said, yes. Because I hadn't really started that book yet, but I had the idea for it in my head. And I wasn't made out of time to write books. Like I said, I don't have time to write a book. I have barely time to take my summer internet class. And I said, all right, I've dedicated you know, X percentage of my life to this course, and I can use this time to kill two birds with one stone. So what I'll do is I'll start writing this book. So I, that book is, is, I mean, you could, it's long. It's longer than a paper. I mean, it's really overkill for a paper for that class. But I really sunk my teeth into it. I published it on the, my website and pulpit and pen before I turned the paper in. And I remember when the, the professor got it, he said, this came back as, you know, plagiarized off the Internet. Because they have this thing called turnitin.com. And it reads your paper. Then it reads the Internet and says, it you know, makes it yellow, green, or blue through artificial intelligence to say, hey, it seems like a large part of this paper was lifted from this internet resource. Now, if you if you're if you're citing sources, you're fine. It could go say, "Oh, this is here," but you'd have your source cited. And at the bottom of my paper, it's I cited my source as you know the paper was full of sources, but I also cited myself. Uh, and I said, "Well, look, I wrote the blog. Obviously, I wrote it." And I said, "This I didn't just." Published my blog for a seminary paper that I already had done. I said, obviously, I, I don't have time to devote for this unless I'm doing it for seminary work. You know, I wrote it. It is my work that I wrote during this class. I just published it before I turned it in. And he was okay with that, and I got an A on it, which is, I mean, like, I was sort of surprised because the paper just eviscerates the cooperative program and the way the SBC works. But I got an A on it, I guess, because it was a good paper. So if you're wondering what was the inspiration that sort of put me over the edge to finally write that book and get it finished, it was my Christian's Missions class, which was an infomercial for the SBC, IMB, and NAM and the cooperative program. And I said, no, enough. And again, that's one of those classes like pastoral ministry or church leadership and administration that, that wasn't a abstract theology course. It was a practical course. This is how to do things, and this is how we're currently doing it. And I'm in the I'm in my point in seminary. Where like I certainly don't reject God. I love that I've learned all this about the Bible. I cherish this education I've gotten, but all this practical stuff about how we really do it is wrong. This is bad. I don't want anything to do with this. I reject it. Speaking of things I reject, I just pulled up behind a Crosspoint City Church car with their little Crosspoint sticker on the interstate. I learned today that I have to go there for my daughter's chorus concert. So Crosspoint City Church is across the street from the elementary and primary schools. And you know, they're very gracious to let the, the, the choir or the chorus from the school use their facility. That's very nice of them. Uh, and of course, churches want to do things like that for the community, but I don't. I don't want to go there. I despise that place. But I will because we're having our chorus concert there. And by the way, the songs that we sing in Cartersville 
at, from the high school to the elementary school chorus are not always secular because this is the Bible Belt. In fact, uh, the chorus director at the elementary school, Mr. Bowman, is a music minister himself. He's a mu music minister at a church in Rockmart, a United Methodist church in Rockmart. So for all I know, he's a mainline liberal, but they'll sing Christian songs, which I think is nice. Anyway, the, the reason I got off on that tangent about Crosspoint is because I don't like the way things are done now. And I don't like the way the SBC does things. And I was really disheartened and disillusioned and put off in my final days of seminary, my final months and semesters. And it's coming to a close. And uh, all, but, but I will say this, don't forget to fund missions. Because, uh, you know, the missionary's food isn't, you know, falling like manna and quail from heaven. So I hope you're funding missions, just not through the cooperative program. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Thursday. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.